patience and hope. So with gratitude and joy, I consecrate this talk to Our Lady of Hope, perfect model of patient hope, and to St. Joseph, who in his silence models for me perfect trust in God's will. So first off, I have a confession to make. I am a very impatient person. I think I was impatient to be born, and I have had to fight impatience every day since. Fortunately, I was born on the feast of St. Faustina, the messenger of divine mercy, and I take that as a great sign of hope because it's in his mercy that I place all my hope. And I believe that together we will be transformed into faithful spouses of our Lord who know how to be hum- to humble ourselves before him, that know how to be still and to wait on the Lord. So for me, I think my impatience comes because I don't like the suffering of having to wait for the good that I desire for myself and for those I love. And therefore, I hurry things along by trying to take control away from God or trying to grasp the good things that he asks me to wait for. And I cannot yet say that I desire the cross and only the cross, though I pray that I may have this desire and I trust that the Lord will grant this to me. I can totally relate to the words of St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross or Edith Stein when she said, there is a bit of defiance in every woman which does not want to humble itself under any sovereignty. In each, there is something of that desire which reaches for the forbidden fruit. I don't know if you know that the word patience comes from the Latin patientia, which means the quality of suffering or enduring or submission. Well, to me, submission sounds a lot like surrender. And it it kind of feels very un-American, like fleeing the battle. (laughs) But we are spouses of Jesus Christ. And I know that to be submissive to my spouse means to enter his mission. So this is the opposite of fleeing the battle. Rather, this is to bring his victory into every battle. And that's what I want to do always, because the mission of Jesus was to do the will of his father out of perfect love. So I do desire to be patient and to suffer well, according to this definition of patience. But I must look at myself honestly and recognize that what I desire and what I actually do are often not the same. So now I want to share with you some of the ways that I take my gaze off Jesus in my impatience. And some of the ways I strive against myself to empty myself and to seek the cross and only the cross, which is God's will for me. So one way my impatience causes me to take my gaze off of love crucified 
is when I allow my feelings or perceptions to turn my gaze inward only on myself. There are times when I just don't feel like I'm loving someone well because I don't feel great zeal. For instance, I often suffer the most overwhelming fatigue. And at the same time, I am rarely without pain. As a result, my movements and my thoughts feel very restricted, rather too carefully planned and less free than in the past. Sometimes I feel like a zombie just going through the motions to prepare a meal or to carry on a conversation. Sometimes I spend hours before the Blessed Sacrament in very dry prayer that feels empty and useless. And I feel a great inattentiveness and brain fog. So in all these things, I'm often tempted to self-condemnation. After all, this is not the warm, vibrant, exuberant type of love I would like to show others. This is not how I picture a saint. This is not the consolation or comfort I perceive that Jesus would ask of me, his spouse. Here I must choose to forget myself and let go of all my perceptions of what should be and embrace what is. What Jesus asks of me is that I let him have his way with me that I be content with whatever he sends my way, that I truly believe that all things work together for good for those who love him. In other words, he asks that I take what he gives and I give what he takes, as Mother Teresa would say. Remember, love is in the will, not in the feelings or the emotions. It's in the desire to please him. I greatly desired to please him and to embrace my nothingness so that he may shine through me. My efforts of love are sometimes thwarted because of my own bodily weaknesses, but I choose to leave my gaze on God and his love and his goodness and power and strength and trust that he's doing sometimes the greatest good when it feels like he's doing nothing. I know from experience that many times my prayers have been answered in powerful ways when I've felt the greatest dryness or even sheer abandonment by our Lord. Remember, he multiplies our smallest efforts of love when we forget ourselves and give him our confidence in his merciful love and his spousal provision. Another way in which I take my gaze off Jesus and look inward is when I'm trying to understand something that's happening to me interiorly. I happen to be a very analytical person. I'm attentive to the details. I want to know that I'm on the right track. I want to understand what's happening to me. I even sometimes want to understand God if I'm truthful with myself. So when I pray for self-knowledge, 
I may not receive it as quickly as I would like. And I may tell our Lord impatiently, Lord, I want to see so that I may offend you no longer and that I may love like you love. And he might say to me in return, what if I want you to remain blind a little while longer so that others might see? There's a certain mystery beyond our understanding, which in humility we need to accept. His ways are far above our ways. His timing is perfect. I trust that he not only not only does he know the way, but that he will lead me there in his time and not mine. As an example, I once had a powerful interior experience that I will never forget. I felt as if I had had an abortion. I felt all the horror and shame and regret and pain and sorrow a woman would feel if she truly was experiencing repentance following an abortion. I desperately wanted to go to confession, but I knew this was not my sin. By the grace of God, I've never had an abortion, nor would I ever consider doing so. But here I was with what I believe was the suffering in the heart of Jesus for some woman who had participated in this terrible evil. And so I went to confession and told the priest my story. I wanted absolution so badly for all the women who have ever had an abortion. He couldn't give me that, of course, but I trust that Jesus was doing something very powerful in that moment to bring graces of repentance and healing for women in that situation as I suffered that with Jesus. It was beyond my understanding and much of it is still a mystery to me. So I had to surrender my understanding and just accept that God was doing something beautiful in that. Another way I take my gaze off Christ is by speaking before I consult him as to whether or not he wants me to speak. In my impatience, I often want to solve a conflict with a loved one by talking through it and encouraging dialogue so that we can better understand one another. I try to be the peacemaker. And I want to solve the conflict right away rather than living in the discomfort of disunity. But I found this is often ineffective, particularly when dealing with my husband. The 40 days of silence that we had uh, during Lent was such a powerful gift for me because It gave me a deeper understanding of the power of silence as an active work of love. So I'm understanding more and more that God can speak most powerfully often when I choose to be silent. It's in my self-restraint that God can speak to the heart of another, that he acts, and then good changes take place without me actually ever knowing how that happened. Again, this is an example of surrendering to the mystery without fully understanding it. The final thing I want to talk about, one of the ways that I can lose my gaze on Christ, is what I call the demons of the past. 
because our past sins can cause us to look at ourselves and forget. We look at the past and forget that we are a new creation in Christ. I know that this is something many of us struggle with because I hear it often in accompaniment. So I ask you this question. Do I spend excessive energy focusing on sins of the past, the evil I have done, and little time focusing on the good that God has done and the power of his death and resurrection in my life? While we do need to remember who we are and the misery that we are, we do so in order to stand before him in awe and gratitude and praise for who he is and the freedom he has given us, rather than allowing doubt in the power of his resurrection in our own transformation. For example, I have many times suffered from great interior darkness, the experience of abandonment by God with no movements or inspirations from the Holy Spirit for a long time. I feel great desolation, and sometimes I even feel like I'm in hell. In these moments, I can choose to turn inward on self and assume that this must be happening because of some hidden, unconfessed sin, since I know I rightly deserve to be in hell, or I can turn to Jesus And think of him in the abandonment and desolation he experienced on the cross and in his descent into hell. I can enter the pain of our blessed mother in the desolation and solitude she suffered after Jesus' resurrection. I must choose to forget myself completely and think only of consoling Jesus and Mary. For as long as God allows this desolation to continue, trusting that he's helping bring joy to heaven through the conversion of countless souls who have abandoned him. I choose to claim the joy hidden in every trial as Lourdes has taught us. I believe that we will be possessed by the power of the Holy Spirit to the extent that we can, in faith, claim the joy in every trial. This is the virtue of patient hope. Remember, the Lord tells us there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So if we truly believe the mission that the Lord has given us, We have every right to share in this rejoicing and to claim it for ourselves in hope. This is how I am learning to redefine surrender. To keep my gaze fixed on my commander in chief in the midst of every battle, waiting on his orders, letting him use me as he sees fit and trusting in the victory he has already won. And I'm grateful that he's chosen us all to share in this great mission of salvation and to share in his rejoicing. For the Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
And even when I do sin, I must remember to suffer that with Jesus, to console him by repenting of my sin and sharing my sorrow with him, but not just for myself, but for all those who have had the misfortune to fall into that sin. Again, I can trust that my repentance is bringing joy to heaven, and I can claim the joy with Abba, even in my sorrow. So I challenge you all, my dear brothers and sisters, with these questions that I often ask myself. First, can I be content to remain poor in my understanding and in my perceptions and speech and surrender fully, blindly to God's permissive will? Second, do I live in the hope and power of his resurrection, even as I'm living the crucifixion? Third, do I repent of my sins and my failings, not just for myself, but as his living host on behalf of every person who is suffering these same things? So I want to leave you with these beautiful words our Lord gave us our community on August 11th of 2012. He said, my desire for you, my thirst for each of you is to make you my living icons. My little ones suffer all with me, gazing upon my crucified love so that your suffering can perfect your faith and you can become my living chalices upon the world, redeeming, restoring, and purifying with me. Learn to wait upon the Lord, for that proves your love and perfects your trust. Be one in me with Mary as your mother. God bless you all. Thank you. For more information on the path to union with God, please visit the Love Crucified Community website at www.lovecrucified.com. God bless you.